save a red, eat a gray. Hello, I'm your host, Judy Doolin for Southern Appalachian Wild. My goal with this podcast is to share some of my beliefs, some of my culture, and to talk to you about the wildlife that lives in my valleys, ridges, and mountains. It's part science, part history, and part folklore and storytelling. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about awesome gray squirrels. But first, let's do an update. I did burn a little cedar in the house to ward off some of those New Year bad spirits, but I just put it in the fireplace. I didn't do the smudging thing because I figured it was safer for me to do that. I'm a little bit uh, clumsy with fire, but you can actually buy cedar online in those little, um, oh, little bundles. Uh, maybe I'll do some advertising for them. But I also want to say or give a shout out to some of my loyal listeners. I have two of them, and that would be my neighbors, Steve and Vivian. So thank you, Steve and Vivian, for hanging with me in there through thick and thin, through the good, the bad, the ugly, that believe me, some of my first podcast uh, episodes were ugly. Um, I'm still learning, so try to hang in there with me. Let's start with a little science first. If you think squirrels look like rats with bushy tails, you're right. They belong to the order Rodentia or Rodinia. It, no, that's not the right pronunciation. Rodentia, go with that one. Um, but if you want to find a squirrel, all you have to do is find their food sources. And they eat a lot of different things. They're not picky eaters at all. They do prefer forest with a lot of nut-bearing trees, a little more mature forest. But they will eat a lot of different things, including, oh no, baby birds. You see, when I draw a food chain for my sixth graders, what I have a tendency to do is put, and what they have a tendency to do, is put squirrels in the herbivore column. That would be technically wrong because squirrels are really omnivores. They will eat uh, bird eggs, insects, baby birds, lizards, frogs, even carrion and other other squirrels the cannibalism thing is there so they really are omnivorous they'll also eat seeds buds flowers and an occasional fungus oh by the way they like human food too so not only will your neighborhood bear and raccoon like that overloaded trash can but squirrels will too Human food is bad for wildlife. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a bear or a squirrel, it's bad. It's usually empty calories with a side order of plastic. 
don't let animals get to your food. If I can, can continue on the food chain theme with you, what would be next is what eats squirrels. Well, squirrels are terrific for the ecosystem, first of all, and they're eaten by many different things, including foxes, coyotes, house cats, bobcats. Um, I was gonna say lynx, but we don't have lynx here in the Southern Appalachian region. Um, personally, I don't really like the little monsters that much, but they do, they do have an important role in our green spaces as a food source for other other people or other <laughs> other animals. Um, and they're great little foresters too. So, and we will talk about people that eat squirrels in a little while. I would venture to say that most of the trees in my yard were planted by squirrels. They're little forest managers. And if you live in an older neighborhood like me, you are probably seeing a lot of trees that sprouted as the result of our little squirrels hoarding uh, their catches for the winter. Um, my neighborhood was built in the 1970s, so it's 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 a yard it's several yards full of red buds hickories and oak trees just a little more science here squirrels are sexually dimorphic oh now your ears have per perked up you want to hear a little squirrel porn no that's not what we're saying here what we're real say really saying sexually dimorphic means that you can't tell the males from the females. So get your mind out of the gutter. Most squirrels are around 15 to 20 inches long and they weigh somewhere between a pound and a pound and a half. They're mostly gray or brown on the back and white on the stomach and chest. Black squirrels sometimes turn up up north, which makes sense because black animals lose less heat. White squirrels have been seen in both the north and the south, but these two color variations are both very rare. They're both the result of recessive genes that cause the color, but black squirrels actually, those genes are mutant genes. As for reproduction, squirrels mate twice a year, Yes, uh, once in the winter, around December to January and February, and then in the summer around May, June. And when they give birth, they give birth to around two to four little, little cutie pies. And uh, the number that they give birth to, of course, just like many animals in, in Southern Appalachia, if the resources are available to them, they'll have more babies. Uh, if, if the resources are uh, down or there's been a, some kind of a disaster, a nat nat natural disaster, um, then you may have fewer babies. Um, as for their living quarters, I think this is really funny. They almost have like a summer home and a winter home. The summer home, I call it, 
this is the place where they stay when the weather is really good, is called a dreg. It's those big clumps of twigs and leaves that you see high up in your trees. They kind of look like they'll fall apart, but actually they're a little tougher than you think they are. Their winter home or the den where they go to whenever the bad, whenever the weather is really bad or something else is going on is most likely found in a hole or a crevice in the tree. So they are able to get out of the weather or whatever else might be going on by getting in that squirrel den. Um, if you want to see more squirrels, then just walk around right after sunup or right before sundown. That's the best time to see most wildlife in, in the Southern Appalachian region. Again, it's the best time to see squirrels. Uh, and squirrels have a great sense of spell and they participate in something called scattered hoarding. That means they gather as many nuts as possible and they scatter them around. That's where my trees came from. And squirrels have a pretty long life period being from the Rodentia order. Um, in the wild, they can live up to 12 years. However, most of them don't make it to three. And in the wild, I mean, in, in uh, captivity, they can live up to 20 years. So they have a pretty good lifespan. By the way, it is illegal to have a pet squirrel in Southern Appalachia or in Tennessee, at least. Don't go out and catch yourself a squirrel pet. They don't make great pets. Yes, I do realize I go, uh, a lot. That is something that I am working on. So be patient with me. We're going to move on to the history of squirrels. I got to be honest with you. I didn't think I'd be able to find much of anything about that. I mean, what a boring subject. The history of gray squirrels. Well, I was wrong. There's a really tasty history. Back when this country was being settled, squirrels were a real common item on the table. Why? Because they were plentiful and they were easy to catch or shoot. Now, if you're wondering how you do that, just get up really early in the morning, really, really early in the morning, hike out to, to the base of one of your favorite walnut trees or to one of your favorite oak trees and set yourself down, wait for the sun to come up and the squirrels will be very active. Now, if you're more like my father and I, we, we really didn't enjoy the killing part. We probably enjoyed more about being outside and watching the sunrise and watching the squirrels frolic, but we did bring home a squirrel every now and then. Another thing that my dad would do, and I just brought back this memory of this, uh, doing this podcast, we would occasionally kill a squirrel and it'd have a big knot on its back. And I had no idea what my father was talking about, but he'd say, oh, this one has warbles. So we're not gonna take it home. And he would throw it to the side and he'd said, you know, let the other wildlife eat this one. 
And so as I got older and I was starting to do this podcast, I thought, what was he talking about? Warbles. He was talking about a botfly larvae. A botfly. If you you know what bot you know what flies do? Do you know what baby flies are? Baby flies are maggots. So what that squirrel had was a large maggot under its skin. And he had learned that you shouldn't eat those squirrels. In reality, we could have just cut that out or, you know, left it in the skin. It probably didn't go that deep. We could have carved it out and it would have been fine. But my dad thought it was a bad idea. Um, his Whoops, I did the um thing. Historical accounts show that there were massive squirrel migrations around the mid-19th century. What did people do with them? They ate them fried, roasted, or they put them in stews. In fact, squirrels are the primary meat originally in Brunswick stew. Squirrels are on the menu quite a bit, or quite a few years, but around um, the middle of the 20th century, squirrels kind of fell off the menu. They just fell out of favor with most people. And then in the 1990s, a researcher found this very strange squirrel brain disease. And so they fell off of the menu in a big way at that point. And that disease is spongiform encephalopathy. I have to say it's really slow, so I'll say it correctly. But it's a kind of mad squirrel disease related to mad cow disease. Yes, we have mad squirrels. Gray squirrels in Britain too are very disliked because they're invasive. Squirrels were introduced to make parks uh, nicer places to improve the aesthetics of city parks, and it has backfired on them. The gray squirrels are using up all of the, the food resources and den sites and all of that uh, that their native red squirrel needs to use. So they... Um, that the the phrase that I used at the beginning of the podcast, I said, you know, save a red, eat a gray. That's the Brits campaign against gray squirrels. Here in the United States, squirrels have actually developed a, a not a very good reputation either. Squirrels love to get in homes and buildings and get up in the attics, chew on the wood, chew on wiring. So they have become, uh, in some cases, enemy number one, and they can make a real mess out of things, and they can make some or uh, cause some very exp expensive repairs. When my family moved here in 1999, our house was under attack. Being the great white wildlife manager, I ascertained quickly that I could take care of the problem humanely and impress my new neighbors. I started with some large plastic owls. I think the squirrels sit and made fun of those owls. That's what it looked like to me. 
Next, I put rubber snakes on the roof. Imagine how many people ask me about that. The squirrels just ignored the rubber snakes. Then I tried humane traps. It was tragic for me to go out every day and check to see that the squirrels had eaten the bait, but nothing was in the trap. Humiliating. Then I got serious. Very serious. I tried coyote urine. I know what you're thinking. How did the company get the urine for out of the coyote? I don't care and I didn't ask, but it smelled horrible. It smelled so horrible, I thought this has to work. The only thing that suffered was me and my family from the smell. The neighbors didn't complain about it, but they found the whole thing pretty humorous. So now there was nothing left but lethal means. You may want to cover the ears of your small children. I was attending a Methodist church and the minister was a friend. He loaned me his 22 rifle. The only thing I had here was a shotgun that hadn't been fired in 30 years. Those of you who know something about guns know that is not a good idea. I couldn't wait to get home and get cracking. But I've never been that fond of killing something. Before I squeezed off my first shot, my neighbors told me about a city ordinance against shooting in the city limits. So things were real tenuous. When I got a bill to replace the wood on our house with vinyl at the cost of about $5,000. Some of these property destructing bushy tails had to go. I finally, finally found a solution. Walking around the neighborhood one day, my son saw this little black kitten. The owner explained that she was able to give away all the other kittens, but nobody seemed to want this little black kitten. So it had been with its mom long enough to where it was a little bit wild. So I told my son, this is how I get in trouble all the time. I told my son, if you can catch it, we'll take it home. And so he did. One morning, I was looking out the window, and it was one of those really foggy mornings. And I could see the outline of some animal coming through that fog. It was like, like a horror movie, almost. As he came into view, I could see Prince, that stealthy little cat, had captured a squirrel and it was hanging out of his mouth, and it was as large as he was. We had many good years of squirrel control out of Prince. Now, I'm not telling you, go out and get yourself, you know, a dog or a cat that's going to kill a lot of wildlife. The truth is that cats do destroy a lot of wildlife, in particular birds. 
but something had to happen here. I tried all of the other means. Prince only died like a couple of years ago, but it's getting a little squirrely around here again. And Prince's replacement, Ancia, she well, she's too good to get dirty. And our dog, Wendy, a mix of blue tick hound, beagle, and Stafford Terrier, I think she managed to catch one one day, or it was already dead, I don't know which, but she's going to need some seriously specialized training to get as good as Prince. Prince was a natural. Now to my favorite part of this podcast. I love to tell stories. Let's start with this. When you think of a squirrel, one of the first things that comes to mind is the Griswolds family Christmas. Do you remember it? You know, the whole family was terrorized. They were running from room to room. And the Rottweiler was destroying the interior of the house by chasing after the the squirrel. Recently, a YouTube video was published and it reminded me of that. There was a young lady and there was a kiddie pool with a squirrel in it. So she decides that she's going to get in and save this squirrel. So she gets in the, the kiddie pool with a chair and extends the chair to the squirrel, knowing that the squirrel's going to latch on to the chair and then she can put it out. Well, that's not exactly what happened. The squirrel did latch onto the chair. And as this little lady was holding it over the ground, the chair over the ground, she was waving it across the ground. The squirrel, instead of jumping off to the ground, actually ran up the chair and jumped onto her chest. That's where the video stops. We don't know what really happened to the squirrel or her. You may want to look that one up. I think the reason that people become kind of mindless and unreasonable when a squirrel comes too close for comfort is because it looks so much like a rat. And we know that rats can carry some dangerous diseases like rabies. Let me assure you, squirrels very rarely very rarely have rabies. Yes, uh. But they can bite. I wasn't going to share this story because it was a little bit embarrassing, but I will because I was back in college. You know, when you're when you're totally brainless. Some friends and I had went out to a park and we were camping there overnight. I hate to say this, but this did involve a great amount of cheap beer. And we decided we were going to try to feed the squirrels and get them in as close as possible and see if we could get one on our hand. I got bitten by a squirrel. Now, these little squirrels, they can actually crack open walnuts. So if they bite you, they're going through skin and bones. Don't try to feed a squirrel by hand. Not a good idea.
And I have one more personal story for you. I was working in this uh, beautiful park in Nashville. Actually, it's two parks together, Percy and Edwin Warner Park. And I saw this squirrel running in circles around the trunk of a big walnut tree. It seemed to be having a lot of fun. But then from the neighboring forest came this juvenile red-tailed hawk and landed right at the base of that tree. And this little hawk was, he was hilarious too. He was bouncing up and down around the tree as the squirrel went around the trunk. And this went on for maybe a minute or less. And then the little hawk figured out that if he would sit still, the squirrel would come back around eventually. The day ended with a smarter young red hawk and a squirrel right in its place in the food chain. So I'm going to end with this. There's always one in every crowd for whom stoop labor is not too proud. He loves his work and putting by, squirreling away his winter supply. And he has many furry friends for whom the frolic never ends. They count on him to fill their lack and share many a nutty winter snacks. In summary, eastern gray squirrels can be tasty, damaging, and even invasive, but they do contribute to forest propagation and hold a hefty, important role in the food chain. To learn more about me or this podcast, go to southernappalachianwild.com. That's all one word, .com. If you have a topic request or questions, email me at jnclinton3209 at gmail.com. I drop a new episode every 20th of each month. So please come back and listen. If you're interested in working on this podcast or being a guest, Come on over. I'll pull up another chair. Scoot the bed over. References for this episode include the University of Michigan Museum of Zoology, the woodlandtrust.org of the UK, mammal.org of the UK, National Geographic for Kids, and an article called Nature's Colors, Albinism, Melanism, and Other Genetic Variations. Until next time, get outside! <laughs> <laughs>